Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at Hey guys, we know that there were times when you were growing up that you pulled little tricks on your parents to get what you wanted, right? Maybe you're a teenager and you are doing this as we speak. We know we've got some teenage listeners out there. Or maybe you're a parent and you've figured out how your kids are pulling fast ones on you. Here at The Longest Shortest Time, we're working on a book called Weird Parenting Wins, and there's going to be a whole chapter on kids manipulating their own parents. It's going to be one of the most fun chapters, in fact, but we need to hear from you. Yes, you, right now. Go to LongestShortestTime.com and click Participate. Then just fill out the Weird Parenting Wins form. It's super easy. And thanks. After you have a baby, it can feel sometimes like you've fallen into a hole. A big old parent hole. You're isolated, overwhelmed, constantly on alert, just trying to keep this kid alive. If you're lucky, you've got another grown-up in the hole with you. Your partner. And if so, little by little, you and your partner can help lift each other out of the hole. You take turns changing diapers, waking up with the kid. You talk about all the hard stuff how gross it is when you get baby poop on your clothes, how you don't really feel like yourself anymore, how you're afraid you might never want to have sex again, or maybe you're feeling turned on, but by someone else, like that other dad you've noticed who does daycare drop-off. Yeah, you're probably not talking about those last things, right? Well, our guest today, Esther Perel, says you will be glad if you do. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hilary Frank. Esther Perel is a couples therapist and sex and relationships expert. She's been on our show before. In episode 96, she gave sex advice in our Parents' Guide to Doing It. And for decades, she's been studying one of the most difficult things a relationship can face, infidelity. In fact, she's got a new book about it. The book is called The State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity. Esther says... If we want to understand what leads to affairs and help prevent them, we need to be talking to our partners, like with brutal honesty about our sexuality, our desires, our fears. And all of that seems really important, considering that most of us, at some point in our lives, will be touched by an affair. Some of us in our own relationships, or because one of our parents cheated, or because we are a trusted confidant.
To be clear, Esther Perel is not pro-affair. Infidelity is a crisis. It's a breach of trust. It's a shattering of the grand ambition of love in modern times. It is experienced as a loss of identity. It is also experienced often as a love story in which one finds oneself in ways one didn't know existed. It is very complicated. It doesn't mean the end of a relationship. Sometimes it is. Some affairs break a relationship. It's over. It was already dying on the vine. Some people were waiting to leave. And the fact that their partner cheated, they can finally say, now I got my good reason to go. But sometimes an affair doesn't break a relationship. It remakes a relationship. And it becomes a powerful alarm system that jolts people out of complacency and out of laziness and out of disconnection and makes them realize what they stand to lose and makes them stand in front of each other with a level of honesty and depth that they haven't had in years. It's complicated, right? Sometimes cheating ends a relationship, but sometimes it doesn't. We got a call from one mom who's in that boat. My name is Emma, and I am recording this question from Colorado. For a bit of context, I have a 20-month-old daughter, and I am currently married. When I was about eight months pregnant with her, my husband admitted that he had been having an affair for most of my pregnancy. Understandably, I was pretty devastated, but given the fact that we were about to bring a new family member into the mix and his insistence that he truly loved me and wanted to stay married, I decided to see if we could work through it. There have been ups and downs since, but we are still committed to each other and our family. However, I still have a bunch of questions I would love to ask. The first is, how common is pregnancy as a trigger for infidelity? Why might pregnancy trigger someone to cheat on their spouse? I'd also like to know whether or not Esther would have any concrete recommendations for how couples can work to repair the emotional damage done by infidelity when both spouses are focused and all of their energy is put into raising a small child. The last question I have is uh, whether or not there are any sort of indicators that someone might be a repeat offender. I know plenty of people say that they'll never cheat again after they get caught, but many people fall into old patterns. Um, So I'd love to know if there are any red flags I should be on the lookout for. Thank you. Merci. So Esther, this is a topic we don't talk about very much. And I think when we think about the topic of infidelity, our brains just fill with questions. So let's start with um, this question of pregnancy as a trigger for an affair. So is pregnancy often a time where infidelities occur? Yes. So does infertility. So does the birth of a child. But not only for the father just so we are clear. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be actually, where, where the tendency would be to instantly think that it's for the father. It is not. So why pregnancy? Um, it's a massive transition. It's a new sense of responsibility. It's the potential for sometimes reenacting some of the early family dramas, the very ones we promised we would never reenact. 
It is um, the loss of the partner sometimes depends on what the connection was between the two of you, even though that is not, it's it's not a cause and effect per se. It's not because you were there or you were not there. I want to be very clear that these ideas don't mean that there is a blame and a, um, on the person to whom this was actually done. Okay, let's be very clear. But pregnancy um, evokes the loss of an innocence, the loss of a, a free spirit at time, uh, and it conjures up for many people a new sense of responsibility. For both people, there is also the experience that to you, things are happening internally, you are aware of it, all the bodily changes, all the psychological changes, the sensual changes, and your partner is actually experiencing this much more in the abstract. Um, it, with a child, there is all the possibilities and all the joys, but there is also loss. And the reason I emphasize the loss is because I have come to see that many infidelities are often rooted in longing and in loss. Explain how um, having a child can can indicate loss. The loss of everything I worked for to develop myself as an independent person, as a professional, as an artist, as someone who is passionate, which I now have to bring that energy uh, into a child, the overwhelming sense of responsibility, the sense of will I do better than what was done with me, the sense of we were just the two of us in this beautiful relationship and I am very insecure or unsure about what the child will do to us, you know, all the possibilities and all the things I look forward to in wanting to be a parent and having a child. And we know that that only tells some pieces of the story. So Esther, getting back to our caller, Emma, how does she begin to repair this? Emma, um, you you had you were eight months pregnant and you are now taking care of the child. I, I think I understood you were a year later. You need to understand what happened. And that's the piece I didn't get from you, Emma. Why did he do this? What was at stake for him? What was he looking for? What did he find there? Why did he want to stay with you? Why did he say, I love you and I did this? How did he put those two things together? It is the understanding of the meaning and the motives of his transgression that will help you make sense of this. Otherwise, all you see is bad behavior. Of course, you're going to think, how do I know this won't happen again? The only way you can more know that it may not happen again is by understanding not what happened, but what it meant that this happened. Not the facts, but the meaning. This is what stabilizes in the experience of repair. And you don't want him to just promise you, I won't do it again, I won't do it again. We're not scolding a child here. We're asking an adult, what happened to you? Why did you leave me at the time I was most vulnerable? Why, who was she? What were you still hoping to do? You know, it was like your last hurrah. Why didn't you come to talk to me? Or maybe you came to talk to me and I didn't hear you. Or have you learned to come to me when you need me before you go find somebody else? Have we learned the fundamental lessons that this crisis is meant to teach us? Once you have that, you will be less inclined to just say, once a cheater, always a cheater. Your question about the repeat offenders that demands details about your partner. 
how much of this has been a part of his life? How much has this been the way he has seen other people resolve conflict or avoid conflict? It's those details that will give you a sense, is this a part of his personality or is this really something that occurred because he kind of didn't know better and it just presented itself in front of him. And therefore, he needs a different level of awareness and you need a relationship in which there is more communication at moments of difficulty. So it's a lot of question asking. It's the right questions that will lead you to the repair to the greater trust and to the sense of security and safety that you want to have at this moment. So when you say we're putting everything into our kids, Emma, I would say at this moment, take a little bit away from your kid. She won't miss it or he won't miss it. Bring it to the two of you and just say, you know what? We managed to survive the crisis phase, but now we need to really think a little bit. What was this all about for us? How do we want to determine what the legacy of this affair will be? What does it mean for you that he had an affair while you were pregnant? Do you feel like your story has been contaminated? Do you feel like this should have been the most beautiful time in your life and he just spoiled it? These things need to be talked about. Your hurt, your anger, your rage, your humiliation, your abandonment, and his wayward lostness. All of that has to be put on the table. That's where the repair takes place. You've written a lot about how people in happy marriages um, often have affairs because it reminds them of their younger selves. Um, And I wonder if with parents, we get so caught up in uh, traditional gender roles, in, you know, dads being providers, moms being caregivers, um, that that it's kind of inevitable that we want to think of ourselves as more than that. Yes, but that doesn't mean it's inevitable that we would transgress for that. I can tell you that one of the main motives in female infidelity in families is the lost self. Now, that doesn't just occur around infidelity. Women will talk about that as is. I can't remember who I am. The last time I thought of myself, I am all about taking care of others. I am mother. I am wife. I'm the daughter of my ailing parents. Um, I'm a caregiver. It becomes not just to find another person. Often, actually, this woman does not want to leave her partner. What she wants to leave is the person that she has herself become. And what she wants to connect with is not just another person, but she wants to reconnect with a different version of herself. So that theme, I hear it worldwide on female infidelity. Um, And again, it doesn't justify it. It just illustrates a theme. When you ask women about their affairs, they'll talk about a sense of autonomy. A similar theme sometimes occurs in men too. I'm a caregiver. I'm responsible. I'm a provider. I take care of my family. I take care of my employees. I'm in charge all the time. And this was something where finally somebody took care of me. You know, most of the people I see are not repeat offenders. They are often people who have been responsible and and faithful for decades, for years. And then one day they cross a line that they themselves never thought they would cross and often feel in great conflict about their values and their behavior. And they wonder themselves, how did this happen? And what's going on in there for them? And they don't recognize themselves and they don't want to hurt their partner and they do love their partner. And this is happening as well. 
When we come back, Esther talks more about moving forward after an affair and how to talk to kids about infidelity. Stay with us. (laughs) At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain or that you won't get a sunburn or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Save big money on everything for your spring projects at Menards. We have all of your garden and landscaping essentials. Master Garden Premium Garden Soil contains a slow-release fertilizer that feeds gardens for up to nine months. It produces better results and is ready to use for all your gardening needs. Save big on Menards' great selection of garden and landscaping products. Compare brands in-store or online at Menards.com. Save big money at We're back with Esther Perel, author of The State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity. Esther, I'd like to have you read an excerpt from your book. So the chapter is A New Conversation About Marriage and Infidelity. Although infidelity has become one of the prime motives for divorce, a large number of couples will stay together despite an affair. But for how long and under what conditions? Will they have the opportunity to emerge stronger as a result, or will they bury the affair under a mountain of shame and mistrust? How they metabolize the affair will shape the future of their relationship and their lives. Today, in the West, most of us are going to have two or three significant long-term relationships or marriages. When a couple comes to me in the aftermath of an affair, I often tell them this. Your first marriage is over. Would you like to create a second one together? This idea of creating a second marriage together sounds like a really optimistic message uh, for couples who have experienced an affair. But I wondered when I read it, um, do you think this concept of a second marriage applies to most parents, whether there's been an affair or not? Because it strikes me that there's a before and after when you have kids. Um, And I wonder... If we didn't feel pressure to be in the same relationship that we were in before we had kids, um, maybe there would be fewer affairs to begin with. What are your thoughts on that? Hmm. You have three questions. I know. I'm sorry. That was a lot. So (laughs) for many people today, marriage is actually often still a prolonged adolescence. It's a child that really brings the the, the big transition, not the marriage. That's a leftover of an old model. You know, the model which when you had sex for the first time when you get married, but now you stop having sex with others when you get married. That is not a massive transition. So do I think that relationships renew themselves? Yes. Regardless of any infidelity, I think that marriages often go through a redefinition. There is something very beautiful in saying, you know what, in one marriage, if we're going to live as long as we do today and we want to spend decades with each other, we probably are going to have more than one marriage with each other. We're going to have more than one marriage anyway. Some of us will do it with the same person. Mm. I also think 
that it is not just a before and after because you you may have different marriages with one child with two children with a disabled child with a more challenging child so it's i think it's before and with mm-hmm. there is no after you mm-hmm. will have children and they will be part of your life hopefully till you go mm-hmm. now um what does it mean the marriage that redefines itself you know it because it could be a nice concept but what's it what's at stake here the structure of a relationship shifts between the people who are at the helm the roles the expectations the rules the 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 continuum between separateness and togetherness those structural elements of relationship they change and they change when you have children because the kids become uh in many instances uh, the people to whom you attend to first family life never depended on the quality of the emotional connection between the partners for most of history wow it didn't matter if you were a good couple or not a good couple you stayed together because most of the time there was no exit mm-hmm. and certainly no exit for the women today the survival of the family depends first and foremost on the quality of the connection between the two adults mm-hmm. and that is a complete shift in the west anyway and and what is that shift what does it mean what it does it mean for the family that the couple needs to attend to itself that the couple needs to be nurturing itself it needs to renew itself it needs to pay attention to what is going on it needs to maintain a connection it needs to remain a vital vibrant unit it's not enough for the kids to thrive if the parents are agonizing mhm they will not be a family let's talk about how affairs impact parent child relationships Um we got a lot of questions from listeners yep, about this. Absolutely. And here is one from a woman named Christine. Hi longest shortest time. My question is if your divorce is due to infidelity at what age is the appropriate age to tell your kids especially when they're very curious and asking you. <laughs> um So my preteen son asked me on a fairly regular basis uh why we got a divorce. I've told him, you know, that we were arguing and he'll say things like he didn't hear us arguing and so, you know, sometimes I explain that people argue by not talking or with their actions too and that, you know, the specifics are between his father and I and it has nothing to do with him or how much we love him. Um and I think part of my dilemma about answering him at a later age like maybe when he's you know 18 or 20 is because my ex-husband is the one that was unfaithful I think that it'll change the way that my son thinks about him more than it's going to change the way that he thinks about me but on the flip side I feel like I missed a lot of warning signs and I would hate for my kids to go through those same mistakes. So I'm really curious about your answer and um would love to hear back. Thank you. Esther, what would you tell Christine? Um should she tell her preteen son or or wait till he's older? I, my sense is that when a child asks a question, you answer, but you need to know how to answer it. Um before you give him information, make sure you know what he's asking for. 
You know, where does your question come from? And have you asked dad the same questions? Um, what is it exactly that you want to know when you ask me that question? Now, he's a preteen and he lives with you and he may be very aware and uh, and it may be better for him to have some kind of response than to be left with a recurrent set of questions that will agitate him and make him more and more anxious. So this is where I trust you as a mom to feel, you know, at this moment, if he's come back five times, you know that you need to come up with a conversation. It's not an answer. It's a conversation. You know, this is what goes on in the life of adults. You can say, you know, I'm not sure that your father was as in love with me as I was with him. Uh, I'm not sure your father found with me whatever he was looking for. Uh, and so he went and looked for it elsewhere, and I decided that was not okay with me. And I thought, I need something else. I wanted to make a different choice for a partner, uh, because when he showed his dissatisfaction, it highlighted my dissatisfaction. And now you present a story in which it's less, he cheated on me, and I am the victim. I made a choice not just to leave him because he cheated on me, but I made a choice to leave him because I decided that I want something else for myself. And so you include yourself as an active protagonist and not just as someone who reacted to the actions of your ex. Um, and then you proceed to say, you know, there are certain details in the relationship between dad and I that are really adult matters and they are ours and you don't belong in our bedroom. It is not a two-minute chat, and it also doesn't say we've discussed this one, now it's over. He can come back to you with his questions, and that's where the warning signs. You're not teaching him about warning signs. You're teaching him about the multiple nuances and layers of love and relationships that he will experience in a few years and that will happen throughout life. Another way that affairs um, can become family secrets is when a child knows about um, their parent straying, but the other parent does not know about it. Correct. So it becomes a secret that the child has to hold. Oof. This question of the child versus the parent. I had a, an example recently where a man comes to me and says, my father had an affair for 20 something years and my mother was going, you know, crazy about it. And she hated the woman and she waited for her to die every day. And now she passed away. And then I said, you know, interestingly, you could say it like that. You could also say, my father loved another woman deeply for 20 years, but decided to stay with me and my mother and not to leave us. Hmm. How do you feel about your father now? Now, you were gay and you didn't come out for a long time. And when you came out, your father was much more responsive to you because your father understood what it's like to live with a secret. It makes it more complicated. Okay. This is what you want to understand about life. So that's not that or that, but that it completely turned it around. You know, he had made a commitment and he wanted to be there with you and he never left for this other woman. But in fact, his heart was with this other woman because your mother actually never really cared much for This is what he proceeds to tell me. The mother didn't particularly care for the father. She cared for the status of the marriage. But, the you know... Wait till you hear the next piece of information before you make your conclusion and you judge and you wrap around the story. Then you realize that things are not so black and white. And this is a paradox we don't always want to look at. People will resort to affairs in order to stabilize and preserve the family. Explain what you mean by that. Yes, I didn't mean to be provocative, you know. Um, what I'm saying is that we have a commitment to the family 
that is not only to our partner. For example, if from the day I had children, my husband hasn't touched me, what am I going to do? I have not been working because I've been taking care of my children or my salary cannot suffice or my partner is going to react with all kinds of intimidations. I am probably best at this point to stay here. I am taking care of my mother. I'm taking care of my alcoholic brother. I have other concerns. So I stay and I stabilize the family. And that doesn't mean I haven't come to my husband and said, what's going on? I miss you. We're never together, etc., etc. And so sometimes the only solution isn't to leave. The solution is to come to terms with what this relationship will be or not be and then find additional resources, including intimate resources. And when you are an adult child and your father or your mother leaves at 60 for someone else, has had an affair for two, three years, four, five years for that matter, they're not going to come tell you that their bedroom was a desert for the last 20 years. And we know that in our society, going to seek sexual comforts elsewhere is much more reprehensible than refusing sexual comforts to your partner for decades. What do you want your father to tell you or your mother? You know, dad never touched me for the last umpteen years. He just preferred to go and watch porn all those years. No, you're not going to say that. So you just say there were things between your mother and I, you have to understand. And I stayed for 40 years. It's not like I left after two and a half months. It's like yeah. when you say your parent cheated on mm-hmm. your, you know, your mom cheated on your dad, your dad cheated on your mom. You're looking at that manifest piece of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. You have no idea of all the other betrayals that may have happened in your parent relationship. Right. And betrayal comes in many forms. You have no idea of the indifference or even the the neglect or 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 the or the constant bickering if there is violence you probably do have an idea but there are many other betrayals contempt you know it com- betrayal comes in many forms and unfortunately the, the the transgression is such a visible act that it appears that this is the egregious one to the relationship and it's difficult to involve the children In the other ones, you don't want them to know about that because you want them to continue to have a decent relationship with the parents at best. So you hide that. And then what you see is the person who goes outside. So I've seen many adult children who feel like their parent destroyed the whole family and won't attend them and won't invite them to their weddings and all of that. And I always just say, you know, when I have the opportunity to meet the adult children, do you really want to understand more of what happened here. I'm not sure you need to know the details, but just understand something. You only saw the last step of a long story. In a minute, Esther tells us how some couples write their own story with their own rules, all in the hopes of avoiding betrayal. Don't go away. Oh, you have your mouth don't you? Advertisements. At Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. 
Make the most of it at Best Western with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. Are you struggling to lower your bad LDL cholesterol, even though you may be taking a statin, swapping steaks for salads, and exercising while listening to this podcast? Ask your doctor if Repatha Evolocumab is right for you. With Repatha, you can dramatically reduce bad cholesterol and the risk of another heart attack while enjoying life, too, because you're human. And with convenient self-administration, you can take Repatha in the comfort of your own home. Do not take Repatha if you're allergic to it. Repatha can cause serious allergic reactions. Signs include trouble breathing or swallowing, or swelling of the face. Most common side effects include runny nose, sore throat, common cold symptoms, flu or flu-like symptoms, back pain, high blood sugar and redness, pain, or bruising at the injection site. Visit Repatha.com or call 1-844-REPATHA. Talk to your doctor today about Repatha. We are back. Now, over the years, we've received emails from people telling us they're solving the cheating problem by taking monogamy out of the picture. They're agreeing that it's okay to sleep with other people. Each arrangement has its own set of rules. There's no, like, standard arrangement that people make around polyamory. But we got a few questions on this topic. Someone wrote in to us. She wanted to remain anonymous. Um, So I'm going to read this question. Um, She says, I have friends who are parents in non-monogamous relationships, one in a polyamorous triad in which three parents are raising two children together, and another friend is in a committed partnership with her child's father, but both parents have other relationships as well. My husband and I have discussed consensual non-monogamy in theory, but have never gotten to the point of deciding to date or explore any sexual interactions with anyone else. Logistically, I'm not sure how this is something that would work when we're already very busy with work and parenting and life. But beyond the logistics, can consensual non-monogamy be a responsible, healthy choice for our marriage? She says she loves her husband and also wanted to note that she is attracted to women as well. There are plenty of consensually agreed upon non-monogamous couples who thrive, period. Uh, The notion that this can't work You just want to say, but the other model doesn't seem to be working that well either. We have a 50% of divorce rate. It's It's not going too well. We are looking for models in which we can experience commitment and freedom, which is what consensual non monogamy wants. Do you ever see it work? Plenty. Plenty. We know. But how do, like, how do, what are the arrangements you've seen that have made it work? Because you've also talked about how there are are ways that um, people feel betrayed even when they agree. Yes. Yes. I, I say people transgress and break rules and betray in all relationships happy ones, not happy ones, open ones, not open ones. It doesn't really seem to make that difference. That's not where the difference lies. But there are plenty of couples who. Why does it work better? Because a lot of couples who live in an open agreement actually talk about it from the beginning extensively. They have talked about boundaries, about jealousy, about possessiveness, about sexual desires, about attraction. Many of the topics that most of the other couples often for the first time discuss in the aftermath of the crisis of an affair. It's not for everybody, for sure. It's certainly not for people who need much more security and who have insecure attachment and need stability and don't want nearly as much diversity and variety and, and, uh, and, and fluidity in their lives. But it is an option and it is a respectful option. 
You have a person that is 25 years younger than the other. You have a person who is no longer physically able to. You have a person who has a much different interest in sexuality than the other. You have two people who are interested in exploring with each other together with others. You have people for whom sexuality is an important um, um, personal expression, place for exploration. And they do that together, like they go to hike together. I have interviewed multiple people who raise children as well. Sometimes they live in a, in a polyamorous arrangement. Sometimes they have their own separate partners and the kids don't need to know much about this. Like this is the adult life. At some point, maybe they'll know this is a person I'm very close to. They don't, you know, but in the same way that children grew up in gay families, and began to understand that that was normal to have two mothers, to have two fathers at a time not too long ago where this seemed inconceivable. And once it became normalized, it became normalized because there were 20 other families like that around them. And generally, people who live that lifestyle, the polyamorous lifestyle, are, will be with other families who resemble that. And the way I know this is from the work that I did prior. I spent 20 years working on intermarriage. Racial, cultural, and religious intermarriage. And I don't have a stake in any model being better than another. I'm watching. I'm studying and observing. But in intermarriage, at the time in the 80s when I began, people kept saying, can't work. Can't work. Marriage is difficult enough. Two religions, two races, two cultures, impossible. Part of what made it very difficult is that they were isolated. First of all, the bias was against them. And second of all, everybody was, it was isolated. They were one interracial couple in the whole neighborhood, in the whole school. Of course, you have different pressures when you are the only one. Create a social norm around it with other people who are sharing the difficulties, the, the joys, the complications and the celebrations. And then things become a normal part of life. Same with divorce. Same with blended families. Blended families, not too long ago. Impossible. So are you saying that you think the next point in that trajectory is um, consensual non-monogamy? No, I'm saying that there can't be a one-size-fits-all, mm -hmm. that today we primarily have a one-size, and if it doesn't work, well, you failed. You divorce, you failed. It doesn't matter if you had a 35-year marriage, you failed. And I think we need something besides longevity to mark success. And I think we need to understand that the institution of marriage has always changed. It has always evolved. It went from 10 children to two children. That's an evolution. It has changed. And it is going through one more change. And some people will go by that change and others will continue with a very traditional route that is working perfectly well for them as well. That doesn't mean it gets supplanted by a new norm. You know, it's just another, a new option enters within the definition, within the umbrella called family. Well, if what people need to be doing more of is having the conversations that they should have had before there was an affair, what do you recommend? Um, like, what's a starting place? What conversations should people be having? The definition of open is not about having relationships with others. It's about having an open conversation. And an open conversation means a conversation that can handle difficult subjects. That means that you talk about the infidelities of your family, that you talk about your vulnerabilities, your fears, your, 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 your jealousy, your, um, your competition, um, your, your attractions to others, your fetishes, your sexual preferences, the stuff that people don't talk about. And so when they have an affair, 
This is not the first time they're lying, but not because they've had other affairs, but because one time I grabbed you and you didn't like it. And I understood that you wanted something very different. And so all my other sexual predilections, I just never brought them to you. And 12 years later, you stumbled upon a text and you saw that I've gone to pay for sex and that I'm into some kind of dumb stuff. And, um, and why have I not told you? Because 12 years ago, I understood from you that you want none of it. And that if I want to be with you, this is what it's going to have to be. And so I learned to be good. And since I didn't feel so good about that part of me, I had a conflict about it myself. I decided that you would be the one that would help me keep this thing in check. And those are the kinds of secret deals that we make with ourselves when we choose partners. You're going to redeem me. You're going to make me whole. You're going to help me not deal with the parts of me that I struggle with. But they don't go away. And so when think that the affair is the lie, when in fact sometimes people have either lie to themselves or lie to their partners about other stuff for a long time. So the conversations are, how do you see us? What would happen if one day one of us became completely not interested? Or what would happen if we have discrepant desires? Or what would happen if, you know, when, if, if you have an ex with whom you had a very powerful connection you know, and that person comes to town. What do we have? What kind of relationships do we have with people that we once lived with? Sometimes for five, six, and, ten and years. So, and what if the answer is yes? There is that attraction. Well, and how do we deal with that? You know, that, would you want to see her? Would you want to meet her? Would you want to meet my ex-boyfriend? Do you want to know who I lived with? But so, like, you're bringing up questions that make it like. They feel like they could be relationship enders for some people. That's why people don't talk about yeah. it. And then they wait for the real relationship ender. I mean, this is the times we live in. But the, but this intimacy too, like the, the kinds of questions you're asking can bring people closer together. I fundamentally believe they can. They can also create places on which, you know, we will never agree on that. And such it is for many other pieces of in a relationship. There is a conversation in which we say to the other, this is what I think would hurt me the most. People do it with illness. People do it with death. They say, what would you do if I had an accident? What would you do if ever I became disabled? What would you do if I died on you? Would you want me to remarry? We have those conversations. And they are part of relationships. But when it, the reason we don't have it about this is because we have the one and only notion. And the one and only is meant to erase all of that. And so we lie in a very strange way, we lie about the fact that these subjects are there. Do you think the having of the conversations can help prevent affairs? Many things can be part of what deters people from having affairs. The first and foremost thing is a robust, thriving relationship in which more parts of you are in the marriage so that you don't have to go look for lost parts of yourself. Okay, so imagine this. Imagine sitting down with your long-term partner at dinner, or, or maybe you take a walk, or maybe you get in bed and pull the covers over your heads, and you take a deep breath, and you ask each other some probing questions, like maybe you did when you were first getting acquainted and the stakes weren't as high. Things like, when's the last time you felt attracted to someone else? What was it about them? Is there something you need from me that I'm not giving you? What would you do if you were on a work trip and someone was hitting on you? Imagine asking these sorts of questions as part of the mix when you're talking about having kids, and maybe even after you've had them. Actually, if it feels safe, 
I want to encourage you to try this. Like, here's your little assignment. Um, I want you to find a calm, quiet time with your partner and ask each other at least one question that feels kind of scary, but has the potential to bring you closer. And if you guys want to share what you talked about, we would love to hear. Or maybe just what you wish you could talk about that still feels scary to bring up. Tell us in the comments for this episode. That's episode 146. We'll also post a link there to Esther Perel's book, The State of Affairs, and to her podcast, Where Should We Begin?, where you can hear Esther working through actual therapy sessions with real patients. This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, with Kristen Clark. We had production help today from Jackie Sajiko. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our technical director is the Reverend John Delore. Our music is performed by hotmoms.gov and directed by Allison Leighton Brown. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado, Antonia Acatunde, and Rika Murthy. Next week on The Longest Shortest Time, we'll talk to two comedians about the grueling, painful, and hilarious experience of infertility. I masturbate now and I'm like, where are the robots? Where's the transportation? I need excitement, guys. Don't miss this show. I swear it is super funny. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or wherever you like. And as always, we want to hear anything surprising you have to tell us about your parents or your kids. Right now, we're collecting stories about being sexually harassed as a mom. Like, maybe because you're a mom. It's a thing I've experienced, and maybe you have too. Hashtag moms too. Eh. Tell us about it. Go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab, and submit your story. This is Katie Couric here to tell you about the latest episode of my podcast. Have you ever heard someone say, I just condoed my house? Well, they're not talking about their condo. They're talking about Marie Kondo. She, in fact, has made condoing a verb. She talks about learning how to weed things out of your life. I have a real problem with this, people. I don't know if you're like me. I'm a borderline hoarder, so this was very instructive for me. So in a way, Marie's a therapist too. It's true. Um, I do, you know, what I'm actually doing is the tidying and cleaning. But when we look at the results, I'm often doing something more psychological as well. That's on the Katie Couric podcast available on Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Best Western, we can't promise you the perfect family beach vacation. We can't promise that it won't rain, or that you won't get a sunburn, or that your family won't endearingly call you Lobster Mom for weeks afterward. What we can promise is a warm welcome and a comfortable room amidst all the joyful chaos. Lobster Mom. Life's a trip. Make the most of it at Best Western, with over 4,200 hotels worldwide. 